What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had an amazing weekend. I'm super pumped up this morning. And the reason I'm super pumped up is because we're going to be starting a new series on this podcast called Grow or Slow, a peek into the future of the most popular U.S. sports leagues. Now, if the title didn't already give it away, what we're going to be doing is each week, we're going to dive into a new league, the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and MLS. And I'm going to break down the business behind each of these leagues. We'll talk about where each league currently stands and the potential opportunities or problems they may face in the future. So again, this will be once per week for the next five weeks. But today, I figured the most logical place to start was with the world's most profitable sports league and certainly the biggest sports league in the United States, the NFL. Now, if I had to pick one word to most accurately describe the NFL, it would be a juggernaut. Now, in 2022, the Super Bowl had more than 115 million viewers, and NFL games represented 82 of the top 100 most watched U.S. TV broadcasts, including 19 of the top 20. Furthermore, the NFL generated nearly $20 billion in revenue last year. That's more than the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, and League One combined. So literally, the NFL generated more in revenue last year than the world's top five soccer leagues combined. Furthermore, the NFL generated nearly $20 billion in revenue last year. That's more than the world's top five soccer leagues, the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, and League One combined. And the NFL also recently inked new media rights deals, collectively worth $110 billion over 10 years. And it's not just the present. The NFL's future seems bright, too. Commissioner Roger Goodell has recently signed another extension, bringing his career earnings to more than $700 million. That's way more than any player in NFL history. The NFL is also adding another international game next year in Brazil, doubling their annual commitment from four international games to eight starting in 2024. And with the league making more money than ever before, the average NFL franchise has climbed to a $5.14 billion valuation. To give you an idea of just how big that is relative to the other leagues, the average franchise valuation by U.S. Professional Sports League. The NFL is number one at $5.14 billion. Number two is the NBA at $4 billion. Number three is MLB at $2.36 billion. Number four is NHL, just over $1.3 billion. And MLS is slowly making its way up the chart at $582 million average valuation for their league. But still, just because the NFL is dominating right now, that doesn't mean they will dominate forever. There are several signs of potential trouble on the horizon, mostly the decline in youth participation. And past results certainly don't guarantee future success. So let's kick things off in 2014. Billionaire Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban was talking to a group of reporters when he famously claimed that the NFL was on the verge of destruction. Here's exactly what he said. He said, just watch. Pigs get fat. Hogs get slaughtered. When you try to take it too far, people turn the other way. I'm telling you. When you've got a good thing and you get greedy, it always, 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 always turns on you. That's rule number one of business. I'm just telling you, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, and they're getting hoggy. Now, Cuban's comments were mostly in response to the idea that the NFL was oversaturating its audience because they had drastically expanded the TV schedule and they were doing more off-season covers than ever before. I mean, if you turned on ESPN, Fox, CBS, anywhere you looked, they were talking about the NFL. It didn't matter if it was during the middle of the regular season, during the playoffs, or during the middle of the offseason. They were talking about it everywhere. But a decade later, Mark Cuban couldn't have been more wrong if he tried. The NFL has risen far above all other major U.S. sports leagues, and really every other sports league globally, if we want to be honest. 
Now, they don't have the most viewers. I mean, FIFA says 1.5 billion people watch the 2022 World Cup final. But the U.S. is also the world's largest economy. And the NFL has turned this audience into a money printing machine. The NFL brought in $18.6 billion in revenue last year compared to the NBA at $10.5 billion, MLB at $10.3 billion, the NHL at $5.9 billion, and MLS at $1.6 billion. So again, when you compare it to the five major sports leagues in the United States today, the NFL is far and away the biggest from a revenue perspective. Now, the majority of this money comes from an 11-year, $110 billion media rights package with companies like CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, and Amazon, while the rest of the money comes from smaller categories like merchandise, licensing deals, ticket sales, concessions, parking, sponsors, and everything else like that. To give you some context here, NBC is paying more than $2 billion for Sunday night football, playoff games, and the Super Bowl rotation. CBS is paying more than $2 billion as well for Sunday day games, playoffs, and a Super Bowl rotation. Fox has essentially the same package at more than $2 billion for Sunday day games, playoffs, and Super Bowl rotation. ESPN is actually paying more than all of them at $2.7 billion for Monday night football, playoffs, and a newly added Super Bowl rotation with a game being on ABC. Amazon, the streaming company, is now paying $1 billion for exclusive rights to Thursday night football and a newly renovated Black Friday game. And that's without even counting that YouTube TV is paying $2 billion annually for exclusive rights to NFL Sunday ticket. This is something that all individual franchises are benefiting from too. It's not just the league level. For example, NFL teams sold 18.8 million tickets last year. That came out to an average of just under 70,000 fans per game. And not a single team in the NFL averaged less than 93% capacity at home. So what that means is that not a single team averaged less than 93% of their stadium full at home games last year. And there were several teams that averaged over 100% capacity. And those are teams like the Cowboys, the Raiders, and other teams like that. And the way they're able to do that is not only do they sell out all of their tickets, but they have standing room only tickets, and those usually sell out as well. And when you add in the success that these teams are having at a local revenue standpoint to the $374 million national distribution check that they received from the NFL, an 8% increase from the year prior, NFL valuations have skyrocketed over the last few years. They were up 25% year over year last year alone. Now, I don't want to go through what each individual team is worth, considering there's 32 of them, but I'll give you the top five and the bottom five just so you guys have some context. Again, the average team in the NFL is currently worth $5.14 billion, but the number one most valuable team in the NFL is, of course, the Dallas Cowboys. According to Sportico, they are valued at $9.2 billion, which was a 20% increase year over year. Number two is the New York Giants at just over $7 billion, a 23% increase year over year. Number three is the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, how valuable was that move from St. Louis to Los Angeles? I don't want to get into all the nuance between what they did to leave St. Louis to get to Los Angeles, but I mean, that franchise is now worth $7 billion, a 17% increase from last year. Number four is the New England Patriots, $6.7 billion valuation, up 14%. Number five, the San Francisco 49ers, just over $6 billion, a 19% increase. But even if you want to look at the five least valuable teams in the NFL today, I mean, these franchises are still extremely expensive. And I'll give you some context on how expensive in a second. But at number 28, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just over $4 billion. Buffalo Bills right there with them, $4.13 billion. Detroit Lions, $4.1 billion. Jacksonville Jaguars, $4 billion. And the Cincinnati Bengals, $4 billion. Now, those teams that are trading towards the lower end at a valuation standpoint have seen their valuations rise much higher than the high end, of course. These teams, call it the Buccaneers, Bills, Lions, Jaguars, and Bengals, 
saw their valuations increase anywhere between 27% to 43% last year. So again, keep in mind, the bottom tier of teams, those Buccaneers, Bills, Lions, Jaguars, and Bengals, are trading around $4 billion in valuation. And the reason why that's important is because just a few years ago, you were buying teams. People were buying teams at less than $2 billion. I mean, the Panthers were bought for a little bit over $2 billion, but the Bills were bought before that at under $2 billion. The Browns, Jaguars, the Rams, uh, even the Dolphins, if we want to go back to like 2008, 2009. And this century, even the Vikings, uh, the Ravens, and the Falcons were all bought for less than a billion dollars, right? So these owners have made a tremendous amount of money, on paper at least, over the last few years because valuations have skyrocketed across the league. And these valuations aren't going to be going down anytime soon. The NFL has clearly placed a priority on international expansion. They've been playing games in London, Germany, and Mexico, and they're going to be adding an upcoming game in Brazil this year. So business is booming. Things seem to be going really well for the NFL. They're obviously the most powerful sports league globally, globally, right? They may not have the most viewers, but they make more money than anyone else. And in the US, which is the world's largest economy, they are absolutely dominated. But while so many things seem to be going right for the NFL, there are definitely some problems that I want to talk about. The biggest problem facing the NFL is the decline in youth participation. Now, look, it's no secret. We all know football is a very dangerous game. The average NFL tackle has G-forces that are similar to a car crash at 30 miles per hour. A lot of these players literally can't walk after games. And a recent brain study from Boston University found that 345 out of 376 former NFL players that they studied had CTE upon death. That's 92% of former NFL players that they studied. Now, most of you know that CTE can only be diagnosed after death. But the reason why this was so shocking is because if 92% of former NFL players had CTE, that is drastically higher than the 1% of the average population that dies with CTE. So again, 1%, less than 1% of the average population will die with CTE, whereas former NFL players, 92% of them, given the players that Boston University studied, are dying with CTE. That's obviously a huge problem. Now, the NFL avoided this problem for a very long time. In fact, the NFL previously denied any connection between repeated head impact from football and long-term brain damage. They literally tried to say it didn't exist for a long time. But the evidence has become overwhelming, and the NFL ended up settling a $1 billion lawsuit with thousands of former players with health-related issues in 2013. But money can't solve everything. Many parents have become aware of the issue. And we have seen a massive decrease in youth tackle football participation over the years. I want to give you guys two stats that symbolize this. Number one, participation in tackle football for children 6 to 12 has dropped 29% since 2016. And high school football tackle participation is down 12.2% from a peak in 2008-2009. And last year was the first year on record where fewer than 1 million players participated in 11-player high school football since the turn of the century. So again, there are now less than 1 million people participating in 11-player high school tackle football games, and that's the lowest that we've seen since the turn of the century. Now, to be fair, the NFL has tried a lot of things to slow this down. It's not like they're not doing anything. They've worked with helmet manufacturers to design new helmets, even granting millions of dollars to individuals that can design the best and the safest helmets themselves. They've placed head injury spotters in the press box of every NFL game, what those head injury spotters are supposed to do is if they see anyone that might have gotten a concussion or looks like they may be dizzy or getting up slow or anything else like that, they call down to the field and that player has to be removed immediately. They've put doctors and neurotrauma specialists directly on the sidelines and in the locker rooms to examine players immediately. They've intensified penalties for players who lower their helmet when tackling. That includes fines as well. 
and they're now mandating the use of guardian caps throughout most training camp practices and even most practices during the regular season. The guardian caps are those funny looking things that you guys have probably seen online. They're just essentially extra pads on top of a helmet. It's supposed to reduce the contact by about 20% when you hit heads with someone else during a practice. Now, this is something that some people have said, hey, maybe we'll see this during a game. I don't necessarily think that's going to come true, but we don't know what the future holds. Obviously, they're being used during practice because people think that they're safer than just using regular helmets. Still, the NFL's best defense might be their multi-million dollar investment in flag football. You guys have probably heard a lot more about flag football over the years, and that is no mistake. Flag football not only helps grow the sport internationally, the NFL successfully lobbied to include flag football in the upcoming Olympic Games. But it gets kids interested in football at a younger age and delays tackle football until high school. So think about it this way. If you're the NFL, flag football accomplishes a few things that you're currently struggling with. Not only do you get people interested in flag football at a young age, kids can go play flag football rather than tackle football. You're eliminating the amount of hits that they have to take at a young age until they get to high school. But they're much more likely to play high school football if they played flag football growing up, right? If a parent comes out and they say, okay, we don't want our kids playing tackle football when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. That's totally understandable given the CTE studies that we've seen. But if the NFL can get them to love football through flag football, when that child gets to high school, the percentage probability that the parent allows them to play tackle football in high school probably goes up, I would imagine, right? But not only are you getting people to play football that might otherwise not because of the head injuries, but you're expanding it on an international basis, right? To get the game included, a flag football we're talking about in the Olympics, it has to be played across a variety of different countries by both men and women. That's obviously good for the NFL. And one of the reasons why not only have they invested so much money into the sport, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars, but why they lobbied so hard for it to be included in the upcoming Olympics. Now, this makes the youth participation numbers slightly deceiving. If you just think about it, fewer kids are playing tackle football, but many of them have just switched to flag football. Now, it's not on a one-to-one basis, but it's certainly a little bit less dramatic than we see in the numbers today. Instead, another problem that I want to talk about that is not often discussed is the quality of play in the NFL and what it could mean for the future of the NFL. Many of you will remember that last year I had Troy Aikman on this podcast, and I specifically asked him what concerned him most about the long-term growth of the NFL. Now, obviously, we talked about the declining youth participation, but what was most interesting to me was that Troy Aikman said that wasn't his biggest concern. Instead, his biggest concern was the decline in the quality of play across the NFL. And his reasoning was pretty simple, actually. He said that NFL owners are unwilling to give players a bigger slice of the financial pie. So players request less practice time instead, which ultimately leads to a lower quality of play. I'll read you his quote in full right here. He said, in an attempt to increase revenue and when we've had CBA negotiations between the owners and the players, what's come of that is that the owners have continued to get their share of the pot and the players when they haven't gotten what they wanted on the financial side of it, they've negotiated less time practicing, less time at the facility. And I'm a big believer that if you're going to be good at anything, you've got to put in the time. So if you put less time in something, it only stands to reason that you're going to be less effective. So if we continue to have less time practicing, then it only stands to reason that the football is not going to be played at the same level. And I think that's what we've seen. There's been times this year when I've watched games and I thought to myself, wow, this is professional football. And yet we can't execute some of the simplest of things. And I think a lot of that is due to the lack of time that we spend on the sport. And look, Troy Aikman isn't the only one talking about this stuff. Tom Brady famously echoed similar beliefs last month. He said, I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. I think the coaching isn't as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. I don't think the schemes are as good as they were. 
the rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than it was before. And Brady also talked about the difference between college in the past to college today and how it prepares you for the NFL. He said, I actually think college players were better prepared when I came out than they are now. Just because so many coaches are changing programs. And I would say there's not even a lot of college programs anymore. There's a lot of college teams, but not programs that are developing players. So as they get delivered to the NFL, they may be athletic, but they don't have as much of the skills developed to be a professional. When I played at Michigan, I essentially played at a college program that was very similar to a pro environment. When I see these different players come in, they're not quite as prepared as they were. And I think the game has shown that over the last 12 to 13 years, I think things have slipped a little bit. Now, look, the data says this too. Some of this has to do with the large number of quarterback injuries this year. But the NFL has spent years implementing rules to protect players and increase offensive scoring. Yet total scoring across the NFL is currently at its lowest level in more than a decade. For example, both teams combined in NFL games today are averaging 43.5 points per game. That's the lowest number that we've seen since teams averaged 43.4 points per game in 2009. In 2009. So scoring is at currently the lowest level that we've seen since 2009. And that's despite the NFL doing all they virtually can to increase scoring and increase activity over the last decade. I mean, if you think about the rules, if you think about fines and injuries and everything else like that, they've tried their hardest to increase scoring over the last decade. And we see that today it's not working. Now, again, obviously some of this has to do with starting quarterbacks across the NFL. I think virtually half the quarterbacks across the NFL that started the season this year are now on injured reserve or not playing in some capacity. So the time that backups have had in practice obviously hasn't been enough. But scoring is currently at the lowest that we've seen in more than a decade. And a lot of that still goes back to what we're doing in practice, the total amount of time that players are spending in practice, and the injuries that we've seen across the league. And look, I get it. This probably doesn't feel like a real problem to a lot of people. The games are on. You're still going to watch them anyways. But it's important to remember that there are now more football games than ever. We have Thursday night football. We have Monday night football. We have three different windows on Sundays. We have international games. We have Thanksgiving Day games. We had a Black Friday game this year. We have games on Christmas Eve and so many others. And continuously putting bad football games in prime time could lead to a long-term decline in viewership. So last but not least, what I would say is that the NFL is the most powerful sports league in the world right now. They make more money than anyone else, irregardless of the total number of viewers. NFL owners are incredibly happy because their valuations look like a hockey stick. I mean, these things are worth four, five, six, seven, eight, potentially even $9 billion, depending on the team that we're talking about and they are making more money than they could have even imagined. Salary caps are going up, and players seem to be very happy too. But just because everything is going well today doesn't mean there aren't concerns for the future. There are a few different things that the NFL needs to get cleaned up to make sure that they maintain their place as the world's most powerful sports league. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and were able to learn a little bit about the current standing in the NFL and what the future might look like. If you enjoyed it, all I ask is that you share it with a friend and help me help you by making this podcast bigger than ever before. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll talk on Wednesday.